it's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website, ClarkDeals.com. It's where you go to save money on stuff you buy, and we post deals for you around the clock. So I have been taking, there are certain trends that happen over time. And I've been taking a huge increased numbers of calls from people wanting to go into private real estate deals, or they're being pitched going into private real estate deals. These are things that are able to use uh, rules and the law where you don't have to provide a lot of disclosure to people. And so you, instead of investing, owning an individual rental property or whatever, you are able to own little parts of uh, many real estate properties, could be dozens or hundreds, occasionally maybe in the thousands. But the big pitch people are getting right now with these private real estate ventures is that each of them have some kind of special thing they're able to do that will boost the return to you. Now, remember, they're not having to give you the type of disclosures you'd have in a publicly traded real estate venture. These are private placements. And a lot of it is you're dealing with their promises that they are going to outperform other ways of you investing in real estate. But the thing is, you put your money in, you're relying on their promises. You're relying on uh, was an offering circular that may be thick as a, uh, we used to have these things called phone books, if you know what that means, like, like several um, textbooks in college thick. I guess I got to come up with a new reference somehow. Nobody knows what a phone book was. But anyway, and, and you buy in, and if you need the money later, you may not be able to get out because they are what are known as illiquid investments, meaning you can't just say, oh, I need money for blah, blah, blah. Well, it's like tough. Didn't you read what we sent you? That thing that was like a zillion pages long said, you can't get your money till we say you can have your money. So the other thing is these offerings a lot of times will involve commission salespeople and you're paying huge fees to be in these private placements for real estate. If you don't want to own individual properties that you would own, manage, and deal with the risk of, then go the complete opposite extreme and buy public investments of which there are many, all the big low-cost companies you hear me talk about, Vanguard, Schwab, Fidelity, they all offer real estate funds that you can buy in and out of whenever you want to. And you don't have commissions buying into them. And you can sell at any time. The value may have gone down between when you bought and when you sell, or they could have gone up. There are index funds that invest in real estate, what are usually called REIT index funds, 
And they are the easiest, cheapest way for you to diversify into real estate. So be aware, be wary of these private offers because you can get burned big time. Again, lack of full disclosure and the inability to sell when you'd like to. Third factor, extremely high costs compared to going in these alternatives where you go into a real estate investment index fund or an actively managed portfolio that you can buy and sell as you wish. The most popular of them, the Cohen and Steers Realty Fund. Brian is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Brian. Hi, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Brian. How can I serve you today? Well, thanks for taking my call first and foremost. Um, we love listening to you out here in Connecticut. Thank you. Um, I do have a question specifically about Roth 401ks. Um, I'm wondering if you have any recommendations or what is the best strategy for splitting my 401k contributions between the old pre-tax traditional and now this post-tax Roth 401k option that I'm being offered? Well, it depends on your um, either individual if you're single or family income if you're married. Um, where are you is best guess what you're going to make in 20? Salary-wise? Right. And, uh, yeah. As a family? Cause it's, so I'm a, you know, married with children, and between my wife and myself, maybe $225,000, $230,000. Okay, so you're moving into a territory where doing a traditional 401k may be a better choice than doing a Roth 401k. Okay. Because you are in for... Uh, a decent amount of your income, and those are good problems to have that you have such a nice family income, you're sure. in a tax bracket that the federal level is 32%. Okay. So it's 24% up to about 170, and then it jumps to 32%. So in so, your so case, the tax rates are high enough, and then you throw in um, Connecticut state income tax, which is not exactly a walk in the park. No, not cheap at all you would be probably best served at doing a traditional 401k. Okay, and not even getting into the Roth at all. Not even getting in the Roth. As much as I love Roths, and uh, people think I should have named one of my kids Roth, (laughs) in your case, you were in... um, I know in Connecticut, there are so many people who earn really nice incomes that you don't even realize that on a national scale... At the income you make, you would be considered to be a, you'd be rich. Yeah, I, I I I hesitate to to use the word rich because you know that that just has some context to it. But sure. but I do understand what you're saying when you you think about Connecticut and Westchester County and the proximity to New York City. So so let me ask a, another a follow on question that you've you've kind of pushed me in towards the traditional pre-tax, which is what I've been in, but I think some other folks that are listening might like this question. Is there um, converting from a traditional to a Roth? What is the right timing or the right mechanism to do that? Because I would consider 
or expect the federal government is going to come at me for taxes as soon as I start to move this large sum of money from a traditional 401k into a Roth 401k. Well, you don't ever have to move it. So the money you have in a traditional can stay in it. The answer to the question is later in life, the odds are at your kind of income level, even though tax rates are with certainty, not near certainty, and with certainty, tax rates are going to go higher because we can't continue to run the budget deficits we're running. And so tax rates are going to go up that you're at a very, very nice income. And unless you would see yourself at that kind of income, um, even in retirement, you're likely to have a lower tax rate later than you're paying now, even okay. with tax rates headed higher. So all this yeah, is that, a guess. You know, it's an educated guess. Sure, of course. And there are no perfect answers, but in your case, being at an income level like you are, the traditional seems like a better idea. Okay. Great. And, Thank and you. no need for you to convert. Although later in life, if you do end up in a lower tax bracket, then there's an argument to be made for you to um, transition money as you can afford to pay the tax on it from traditional to Roth money. But not till the income turns the other way. Ron is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ron. Hello, how are you? Great, thank you, Ron. How can I be of service? Well, I have a question uh, about giving my children debit cards. I have uh, two girls. Well, I actually have seven children, but two of them are 14 and 13. Uh, They do chores around the house. They earn money elsewhere outside the house. And I want to be able to put their money onto a debit card rather than having cash. Because if they're carrying cash, they tend to either lose it or they blow through it really fast. I found a uh, a credit a debit card company that um, actually has an app that you can use to keep track of where they're spending the money. Uh, you can actually load the app, load the the debit card with money based on the chores that they do. However, uh, it's four ninety five per month per card. Yeah, it's a huge so, amount of money. Four ninety nine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking one hundred and twenty dollars a year just for them to learn how to handle cash. Is yeah, I don't. I don't recommend it at all. Okay. Um, it's not like they're trying to rip people off, but all the things they do are high touch, right? And they're expensive to offer. So. Okay. I think that uh, if you if you really prefer plastic versus cash, I find that kids actually feel money more and the spending more when they do have cash than when they have plastic, because the cash is kind of finite. Mm-hmm. And one theory, not mine, but I heard from somebody else who advises people about how to talk to kids about money. This is weird but that you only give kids the money they get for chores or allowance or whatever in $1 bills. That they Hmm. feel the $1 much more than they do if you give a kid a 5 or 10. Seems like they're spending a lot more money when they start having to peel off a lot of ones. 
Now, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, if, so if they earn $20 a week, you just give them $21 bills? Exactly. The uh-huh. person at your credit union or bank where you go get the cash is going to hate you. But I find that the idea, and I'm trying to remember who had that idea originally, but the idea of giving kids ones um, works better than giving them a $20 bill in terms of them being more careful with what they spend. But if you want a card, spending card, uh, for those, I've mentioned this before, that if someone is a USAA member, USAA has the youth spending account that you can add money to so easily. But if you're not USAA, I like the Bluebird card, which you can add money to really easily. That is an American Express product at Bluebird.com and it and the USAA account both avoid virtually all fees that you're talking about with using this allowance and chore management card that you were thinking about doing and then got 120 more dollars that's there to either give your kids or keep in your own pocket. Bob is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Bob. How you doing? Great. How are you? Wonderful, thank you. Bob, you have an offer for pay TV that you're wondering, this is either the greatest deal ever or it's some kind of scam. Is that right? Exactly. I'm trying to find an alternative to paying huge money for cable. And I've run across something. Okay. And what they're offering is for between 169 and 199 you buy a box and you get six over 1,600 channels with no fee, no subscription fee ever. You get all the pay-per-views, all the movie channels, all the sports channels, everything you'd ever want to watch. And it, it just seems to be too good to be true. Well, actually, what it is is it's, um, it's criminal behavior. Okay. <laughs> and you'd be participating in it. You're basically receiving stolen programming. What they okay. do, they're called pirate boxes. And there are lots of these for sale on the Internet. And with a pirate box, the people uh, know how to wire the box to or program the box to steal content over the Internet, and they're able to get everything just about you could ever think of on the pirate box. And so the people putting the the, uh, channels together are not getting paid. Okay. Now, this is kind of like a modern version of what went on a generation ago with people stealing music. If you remember that when people used sure. to sure. steal music. So this is the same thing for television okay. or video content. Okay. Now, what about the ones that are offering you pay the bo- you buy the box and then you pay a yearly fee? Is that the same thing? Same thing. thing. You know, if it you're is. paying, okay. let's say... You subscribe to a channel that by itself is $180 a year. And these people say, hey, just pay us you know, $20 a month or whatever. And you don't get just that. You get these thousands of channels and all this content. <laughs> They're pirating. They're stealing. Okay. Okay. And I kind of thought it was too good to be true. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, it's one of those things. It's an ethical decision you have to make because to this point nobody's been made an example of you know at some point okay 
they're gonna they're gonna have some people they make examples of, you know, some DA or prosecutor or something is gonna go after people with the pirate boxes. Sure. But for now it's been a free ride for people, but with the with the ethical thing that you are stealing the content and there is the practical chance that you could end up in trouble. Okay, okay. So you're far better off going into like Sling TV or something. Yeah, like any that of, any of the streaming products. You know, we have a guide to streaming services that we update every single week, and you can compare based on what you enjoy watching. What's the best out there? But you're not going to get a thousand channels for twenty bucks a month or anything like that. My pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com, and there are times that, to you, I may be no deal, Clark. I may give you advice, guidance, information, or an opinion that annoys you, upsets you, or you think I'm just flat out wrong and that's why we have clark.com slash clark stinks you can go post on there when you feel like there's new information i need or that advice i've given is a disservice rather than a service to someone other people can read what you posted they can comment on it as well and then weekly our producer krista goes through your posts and shares her favorites with you yeah my favorites right here (laughs) On the show. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. Twice you have said most full-time RVers use Montana for a domicile. However, most use South Dakota as RVers' friendly, low-tax state. Montana is only used for when you are purchasing a new RV. Forming a corporation in Montana saves money. Thank you very much. um, I appreciate that. So buy it in Montana, register it in South Dakota. That's what it sounds like. Okay. And other RVers, if you disagree with that, please let us know. Clark, I recently heard you advise a caller that the only way to get airline lounge access via Priority Pass was to get high-fee cards. But the American Express Hilton Surpass card comes with 10 lounge visits a year, and the annual fee is only $95. Some airlines don't allow lounge access using Priority Pass. Delta, I'm thinking of you. So do your research on who and where you fly, but it's a cheaper way to get access to the super high-fee card than the super high-fee cards. Valerie. Valerie, thank you. You're right. Um, That's something I am aware of, that there are cards that give you a metered number of visits into airport lounges, and the amount most people travel, that's a real deal to essentially get in the lounge 10 times for $9.95 or whatever that annual fee was. I mean, it's under $10 a visit is awesome. Okay, so last week I said I didn't want to sound like Chris Harrison from The Bachelor with it being the most dramatic Clark Stinks ever. Okay, I know so you again, don't get it. I know. Who is that? It's a and show that's on right I now. I know what The Bachelor is. It's a rose ceremony. It's the one where, is it the woman decides among it's, guys a, or a guy decides both, among women? Or, both. 
But it's always going to be the most dramatic one ever. And I read a post that was like the most popular one ever. But this one, because right now we're entering the finale of the show. So um, this one is the second most for sure. Like there were so many posts on this topic. I couldn't believe it. Clark, you may not stink, but your aroma makes me dizzy. You are forever (laughs) issuing a blanket condemnation of 403B plans as though they are all the same. Some of those plans are not managed by insurance companies. Mine was through one of your favorite children, Fidelity. Also, Roth IRA contributions are limited to $6,000 versus $19,500 for the 403B, a difference higher income earners would miss saving for their retirement to their detriment. Before the 403B is condemned and rejected as trash, please distinguish between those of insurance company-based, possibly high-cost annuities, and other administrators. Also, the higher income earner could max out on a Roth and apply the balance to the 403B. With the uncertainty around Social Security and retirement in general, we must set aside as much as feasible during our work in years. Sincerely, someone enjoying the fruits of Roth and 403B savings. And lots of people said the same thing, including about having Fidelity. That, you know, and we had a caller about Fidelity as well and about how low their costs were on the 403B plan through Fidelity. And I appreciate all your posts. Here's the thing. There are so many people, especially school teachers, that are in hideous ripoff, insurer-provided 403B plans that demolish the money that they're trying to save for retirement security. The reality is this is a cause, this is an effect of corruption in Congress that insurance companies are allowed to offer these massively overpriced plans to rip off so many people. So uh, I know I'm strident about the 403B plans, and I hope the ultimate purpose of it is that you go look at what you have and see if you are, in fact, being ripped off with these massive, huge commissions, surrender charges, and endless fees that can cost 100 times what a 401K would cost that someone would have at a big employer. So there's no excuse for the 403B scandal. It is a scandal. And do your homework. And I appreciate all the people with the passion who've been able to determine that the 403B you have is not a ripoff. Hi, Clark. You stink. I look forward to your podcast from or about CES, formerly known as Consumer Electronics Show, haha, and never heard you say anything about it this year. What new things can we look forward to, Susan? Susan, thank you. We've also addressed this recently on the show about CES and why I didn't go. So I'd gone, I think it was 10 or 11 years in a row, something like that. And I made the decision that the last few years, it didn't feel like there was enough change year to year. And so I've done an experiment where I'm skipping a year and I'm going to see if in a two-year cycle, there's a lot more interesting stuff than there is in going year by year. And I've gotten enough feedback that obviously I made a bad decision and I should have gone to this year's CES And I'm sorry I let you and so many others down. Clark, you said to a woman from Ohio that is now paying $100 a year road usage tax for having a hybrid that she's being ripped off. That can't be further from the truth. If you average her mileage to 11,000 miles and say she's getting 20 miles per gallon better than a non-hybrid car, 
With Ohio's 38.5 cents gas tax, she's skipping out on $117.86 in gas tax. So she's still getting good deal. Matthew. And a lot of people wrote in about this saying people with electric vehicles and hybrids need to share the costs of the road repairs and construction. I agree completely that that people that drive electric vehicles like I do or people who uh, I'm not so into the hybrid thing because a lot of hybrids are what are known as mild hybrids and they don't get anywhere near 20 additional miles per gallon. And so it would be often true that a hybrid would get 20% better fuel economy than the regular gas engine equivalent of that vehicle. If you look at like um, a SUV that has both a gas engine version and a hybrid gas engine version. So the $100 is out of scale. As far as the typical uh, road use tax in a state, paying that amount as an electric vehicle owner is more than fair. In my case, I pay under a formula where I pay three times what the average gas tax would be as a punitive fee against electric vehicle owners. I take, speaking of gas, this person says, I take exception to producer Joel wanting to purchase cheap used cars. With all the new safety features in cars and assuming your group has families, I'd want to have the latest protection in my vehicles if I could afford it. As an aside, absolutely three items you never want to be cheap with. Tires, brakes, and for the single folks out there, tires and brakes, we're just going to say. Sorry, didn't read that one all the way through. Mark. <laughs> Joel, do you want to respond? Oh, gosh, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, I think yeah, there are- You're off- hemming and hawing, Joel. <laughs> I see this parental guilt on your face. Obviously, there have been- massive amounts of improvements in safety features in cars over the past decade and you know the, the most recent new car we bought was 14 years old and so i think yeah you, that's something worth considering when you're talking about buying a used vehicle you want to the, the increased safety features might make sense for you but i think too when you're buying an older vehicle you can find ones that are historically were, were rated well for safety um but I guess it's something you have to make a personal decision on, and it's not something that I was willing to pay a whole lot more money, tens of thousands of dollars more, to get a new car just for better safety features. Okay. I'll let it sit with Joel's response. (laughs) In your Clark.com How to Book Flights guide, you say, quote, the most expensive tickets tend to be booked on Thursdays and Fridays. Two bullet points later, it says Thursday and Friday are the cheapest departure days for most air travel. I think I know what you're saying. I should book my flight online on a Monday for a Friday departure in order to get the best deal. But your wording is really confusing. The rest of the info is very helpful, and I'm looking forward to my affordable vacation. Mitch. Mitch, thank you, and uh, we will fix that. That's a section that we continually revise, so that's how you could end up with tortured wording. The other thing is that the patterns of when to buy air travel have changed so much that airlines now are using, uh, I think it's called hyperdynamic pricing or something, where they can change the price many dozens of times a day employing artificial intelligence. So it's if you're looking for the absolute lowest fare, you have to be as obsessive compulsive about it as the airlines have become. 
Clark stated that only 2% of eligible taxpayers take advantage of the IRS free file program. I thought that was crazy. I'm someone who's eligible to use the program. So I went to the site and selected the free version from the company I've used for years. I filled up both my federal and state info and thought it was going to be great. But then I clicked the button to complete the returns and a message popped up that I needed to pay $36.99 for the state return or delete it and all the info I entered. I did delete it and didn't file the return. Instead, I went to the website for that same company and purchased the deluxe software to complete both federal and state returns for $27. No way, no way. Yep. So if I disagree with Clark's, I disagree with Clark's statement that 2% of eligible users aren't taking advantage. Instead, I'd say 98% of eligible users are saving money by not using the IRS free file program. Gary. Gary, thank you. I've never had that feedback before and I appreciate it so much. So when you go to free file, there are several tax prep softwares that if you have a state income tax, do both the federal return and the state return for free. Obviously, this provider that you used is not at all in line with the spirit and intent of IRS free file, ripping you off by giving you the federal free and then charging more for the state one than it costs you otherwise for both buying their software. That is really rotten. I appreciate all your posts, and I want to tell you, I thank you for taking the time to do a write-up on Clark.com slash Clark Stinks. This show is all about us learning together. I'm just a guy. I'll make mistakes. I'll have built-in biases I don't realize. And you help me so much do a better job serving you. Rodney is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Rodney. How are you? I'm doing fine, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. Absolutely, Rodney. Uh, kids, they cost us so much. Unbelievable. What are you dealing with with one of your kids? Uh, recent college grad, recent high school graduate, started college locally, um, has, has a job, and he needs to communicate, commute back and forth to the job and to school. And we've tried to add him on to our own insurance policy, and it has completely skyrocketed through the roof how many extra thousands a year two okay that's not as horrible for an 18 year old guy correct all right i'm, I'm breathing more easily now so you're saying two thousand two thousand more than what we were originally paying right right that's correct. um that's not beyond crazy for a teenage driver you know for my daughter um, who's now 20, hers was even higher than that for her increase. And in her case, we sold the car that she drove, and now she doesn't even have transportation to get around. She's In her case, she uses Uber and Lyft to get around, rides with friends, um, because the cost of the insurance was so cost prohibitive. Actually, Clark, I got my numbers wrong. It's actually close closer to five thousand dollars. Okay, that's more what I would have expected because my yeah. daughter was, if I remember right, is forty five hundred for her. We're at forty eight. Yeah. So, uh, depending on the distance your son commutes to work and to school, it actually may be cheaper to sell the vehicle 
and have him do what my daughter's doing, getting around by Uber and Lyft. Now, the other alternative is do you have liability only or do you have full coverage on the vehicle? The, that particular vehicle that he drives has full coverage. All right. So it may make better sense to buy what there used to be an expression people used a beater car. You know, a just Yeah, just a really inexpensive car you can buy um, for cash or very low money that if it gets totaled, you just suffer the loss and you don't insure it for anything but liability. Okay. Because, okay. because this is, I mean, you can call around and get quotes, and I always advise that, but a teenage driver, the, the liability risk for the insurer, the cost risk for the insurer are so high with an inexperienced teen driver that the rates are just obscene. Now, would, would it change when he turns 19, which is in a, a month or so, or does he have to wait till he's 21 before you see any significant impact? Depends on the insurer. Are you with an insurer that has agents, or do you call an 800 number? Um, I call an 800 number. Right, and have you asked uh, what's the story, like what do we have to do, what can we do to lower these rates for him? I have, and they've, they've tried on several different um, scenarios, and they we went ahead and went with the least expensive one that they proposed. And that's but still 4800 bucks. Still, yeah. All right. So exactly. find out from them if you insure a car for him liability only. What that would be. Okay. That's an, that's an idea. And that may get it to be more reasonable. And you either park or sell the vehicle that is valuable enough that you're having to insure for collision comprehensive and then that's where the beater car enters. But the the challenge you're facing is the same of every parent in America with a teenage driver right now. Got it. So it it, it is a fact of the wallet, and it's a brutal fact of the wallet. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.